Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to today's episode of Inpatient Myeloma Radio, a show that connects patients with myeloma researchers to better understand how we can move research forward faster by participating in clinical trials and find the best personalized approach. If you'd like to hear about the very latest in the series in a weekly email, we invite you to subscribe to our Inpatient Minute newsletter. Just go to the homepage www.mpatient.org where you will find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages there as well. Because we've been talking with myeloma experts about personalized care, today I thought we would address a really important question when we all have when we go to the clinic. What in the world do my lab numbers mean? Now some of us track our numbers vigilantly and will ask for a printout at every visit and some just say, never mind, tell me when something goes wrong. It can be pretty overwhelming when you're looking at a list that makes no sense. And being on medication certainly doesn't help. But because so much of our treatment depends on what is happening to us individually, our, in our last interview, Dr. Morgan said, we shouldn't bury our head in the sand. We need to be aware of what is happening in our own care, and we are our own best advocate. Now, fortunately, we all have a resource at our facility that can make sense, that help, can help us make sense of these numbers. I had no idea that this was available, but I think it helps us get to more personalized care and better individual outcomes. So did you know that you have a pathologist waiting and ready to review your lab numbers with you? Today we have with us Dr. Michael Misalek from Newton Wellesley Hospital in Massachusetts, and he joins us to share with us what a pathologist can do to help us improve our myeloma care. So, Dr. Misalek, we are so pleased to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Jenny. It's my pleasure to join you, and I look forward to our conversation, and uh, hopefully uh, viewers will find it interesting and call in with some great questions. Okay, well, let me first start out by giving a little introduction for you. Um, Dr. Michael Misalek currently serves as Associate Chair of Pathology at Newton Wellesley Hospital in Newton, Massachusetts. He is the Medical Director of the Vernon Cancer Center, Chemistry Laboratory, and Point of Care Testing. He practices in all areas of pathology in a busy community hospital. Holding an academic appointment at Tufts University School of Medicine as a Clinical Assistant Professor of pathology, he regularly teaches medical students and pathology residents. Dr. Misalik is a strong advocate for pathology and is very active in the College of American Pathologists, serving on the Personalized Healthcare Committee, the Political Action Committee, PAC, and is chair of the Massachusetts delegation in the House of Delegates. He is an inspector with the College of American Pathologists and has conducted several hospital laboratory inspections. He's a member of the Clinical and Laboratory Standards Institute Document Development Committee on reporting critical, life-threatening, or life-altering lab results. He received his medical degree from the University of Massachusetts, did an internship in internal medicine at Boston Medical Center, and completed his residency in anatomic and clinical pathology at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center. He performed a fellowship in general surgical pathology at the University of Florida and is board certified in anatomic and clinical pathology. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you again. Okay, Dr. Misalik, should we start with an overview first of 
what a pathologist does and their roles and responsibilities? Yes, absolutely. So the public may not be very much aware of the pathologist, the role of the pathologist. Uh, we've been stereotyped in the past as uh, Quincy or more recently uh, with shows such as CSI. Uh, people seem to think pathologists are purely involved in forensics, which, which is true in, in some respects, but the vast number of pathologists actually practice in hospitals, medical centers, uh, clinics, laboratories, and they're involved in your day-to-day -day care behind the scenes, assisting your other physicians, your care team, and are involved in developing a plan, going over lab results, advising other clinicians about next steps uh, and other important aspects that you may not be aware of. Pathologists are uh, board certified in anatomic clinical pathology. We go through a residency and fellowship just like other specialists or physicians in medicine. Uh, we are members of your care team. Often we're referred to as the doctor's doctor in the sense that uh, many clinicians will consult us for uh, questions that may arise out of lab results or uh, next steps to do in an investigation of uh, a patient's illness. So whether patients know it or not, there's a lot of background discussion that goes along in uh, about their care among clinicians, the, the healthcare team, and it very much involves pathology. Uh, many people will often comment and say that all care begins with pathology and that you do need a tissue diagnosis before you can embark on uh, treatment for, say, myeloma, or uh, as many as 70 to 80 percent of the data within a person's medical file is actually generated from the lab. And pathologists oversee, we direct, we run the hospital la uh, laboratories. Uh, these can include chemistry departments, hematology, microbiology, the blood bank. Uh, so in, so anytime you're seen by a doctor, whether you have your blood drawn, a biopsy taken, uh, you've gone to the operating room for removal of some tissue, all of that ultimately comes to a pathologist. It comes under a microscope. We, we diagnose it. We generate a report. Many of you of the listeners have probably seen their pathology reports and their lab reports. All that data is compiled, generated by, by a pathologist, and uh, which brings up another big role for pathologists is that uh, we're, we're central to a lot of this information and data gathering so that we really do have at our fingertips a large repository of information, which is useful in areas of research. Uh, we actively, many of us, will uh, participate in basic and clinical research where we take a look at this information and go back and look at patients and their outcomes, uh, look at different uh, diseases, and collaborate with our other clinicians. So pathology really touches many fields because of this uh, central aspect of our Function so we we really intersect and touch paths with all 
other physicians in, in medicine, whether they be primary care physicians or specialists. Uh, and that's really what the pathologist does as part of your uh, care team. That's great. But, well, it's nice to know that we have an x-ray resource that I don't think most of us knew about. No, and the, the, the reason I think pathologists are becoming more engaged and more active, visible in your care team is that we're, we're being asked to do more uh, with healthcare reform. Uh, there have been a number of changes uh, where uh, we are being asked to do more with less resources, and pathologists are central to developing best practices, algorithms for laboratory medicine in how particular illnesses and diseases are, are worked up, such as, my, uh, such as myeloma. So anyone who really has a lab test is one of our patients, whether they, they know it or not. And many of my colleagues are starting to see patients now directly in consultation uh, or as part of a care team with other clinicians, and uh, just recently we've introduced here at my institution a uh, process by which patients can come in and review their pathology with, with a pathologist, just like you would go to your doctor for a visit for another purpose. Uh, you could also request a, a visit with the pathologist and uh, perhaps discuss your pathology reports or any questions you might have. So we're, we've, we've been asked to do more and we think that uh, best medicine really uh, requires us to know as much as we can about our patients. So it's, it's only natural that we are reaching out and trying to become more engaged and uh, know more about our patients rather than just what we see under the microscope. Okay, well that's wonderful. And how, here's a question, how frequently uh, will you be looking at, let's say, my lab results? Really every day. Uh, in the background here of most hospitals, there's blood testing that goes on really 24-7, uh, whether it's patients coming into an office for a visit, patients in the operating room, inpatients within a hospital, coming into the emergency room, or in an outside clinic. All of this material comes into the hospital. It's being run in the background. These labs are being generated. And on occasion, when there are questions, either uh, one of the laboratory technicians may have a question about a result and bring it to our attention, or when that result is resulted in uh, information system, the ordering clinician may give us a call and have us look over the results, and if they have any questions, uh, we can try and help them make sense of it. So it's pretty much daily that we're looking at lab results. Uh, as far as biopsies and tissue specimens, that's, that's an everyday uh, process as well. Uh, procedures go on every single day, in particular for myeloma. Patients will be having bone marrow biopsies. They maybe having blood tests, protein electrophoresis, other laboratory testing surrounding myeloma that commonly occurs, and that's analyzed every day by pathologists across the country. 
And when you say you work with a myeloma specialist, can you describe a little more how you do that? Is it, is it a two-way kind of communication? So if you see something alarming on the results, you're going to call or, or send a note or something to that myeloma specialist? Or do they kind of review all the results and then they contact you? Or does it just go both ways? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think myeloma care can almost serve as a paradigm for a lot of other cancer or uh, tumor care in that we collaborate real time with your other treating clinicians, your hematologists, your oncologists, in that uh, a lab result may come up, they may give us a call, we discuss it. Typically, most institutions, whether they're a community hospital, a large academic medical center across the country have uh, daily and weekly conferences to discuss patients who are actively being cared for. Uh, rather than looking at historical data, we look at patients who are having uh, procedures currently and we will meet as a team. Uh, so you'll generally have a pathologist with uh, a hematologist, an oncologist, other clinicians, uh, particularly radiation oncologists, surgeons, nurses, uh, other internal medicine doctors, and we, we will regularly meet uh, at least once, maybe more times a week, depending on the volume of patients, and we, we discuss cases real, real time about uh, diagnoses. I, a pathologist will show the, the slides that show their pathology to these other clinicians, and the other clinicians will likewise show their portion of the case as well. You might have a radiologist discussing some uh, skeletal surveys, some x-rays, some bone scans, MRIs, PET scans, which would complement and uh, go along with the pathology data so that a care plan can be developed. And it's this meeting of the minds where patients' plans are developed, patients' uh, next steps are, are outlined, and this all goes on behind the scenes. After patients have left the office and gone home, the, the work really just begins for us, and this uh, series of meetings plays out in hospitals across the country, and uh, then a plan is developed and put into place, and the work still doesn't stop there because, as you and other listeners are aware, there will be follow-up visits where patients come back for repeat testing, repeat surveillance, and again, blood tests is, bloods are collected, specimens may be obtained, and again, this is reevaluated by pathologists, and with this, your team of clinicians, your healthcare team, uh, we all discuss care and what should be the next step. So it's really a daily occurrence that pathologists will interact with other members of your care team, and it's this team approach that I believe provides the best quality of care, uh, and that's certainly something that we stress uh, everywhere pathologists practice. Well, I think the team approach is a wonderful approach, and I know sometimes um, it happens and sometimes it doesn't happen, and I'd love it to happen all the time. We, we had a, my brother-in-law was fighting AML, and sometimes 
you know, the fourth floor wasn't talking to the fifth floor. And so what can patients do to ensure that a team is looking at their case? Or ask them, right. like, what questions can they ask to, to see if that's happening? Right. I think that's an excellent question. Uh, patients nowadays, you are very well aware, and many of the listeners are definitely more educated. I think with uh, this Internet age, people are doing a lot of research before they come to a doctor, uh, even after they do come to the hospital and receive care. Many healthcare systems have patient portals where patients at home can log on and see their results almost as fast as their other doctors can see the results. So patients are definitely more educated, and I think it's this education and engagement by patients that is really necessary to further drive the process. So I, I would encourage patients to take an active role in their care, uh, ask questions at their visits, ask if they have a question about their pathology, if they could get a copy of their pathology report um, and go through it, have their doctor go through it. If there's any particular questions that their physician may or may not be able to ask, have your listeners ask to see a pathologist or uh, oftentimes their doctor will call us directly, sometimes even while they're in the room with, with a patient. I've gotten several calls like that. It happens fairly frequently. And uh, a question will come up and they'll give the pathologist a call and we'll, we'll try and help them out. So I would encourage listeners to take an active role in their care. Uh, be, be their own advocate. Uh, speak up for their care. Look at as much material as they can, their lab results, their uh, radiology, imaging studies, biopsies, and go through them. And if they have questions, ask the appropriate people and make sure you understand everything that's being done. And don't be afraid to question. As clinicians, we, we love questions. We, we, we love questions from our patients. In fact, those are some of the best and toughest questions uh, that we do get, and it causes us to reevaluate, to think about our plan. And uh, again, that's good medicine that ensures quality care. So I would definitely encourage patients to ask questions and uh, make sure that communication is maintained so we so so there isn't a breakdown in communication like like you mm -hmm. mentioned in your unfortunate uh well, I think there. It's, it's important to have everyone working together and it's wonderful that when it happens and i love the online lab work <laughs> it's great a lot of facilities have that now yeah that's uh very very helpful for patients. I've gotten phone calls from patients who've seen lab results and uh, are concerned about something that may be trending a little bit different in their lab results, and, and they've called to uh, ask these types of questions, and often, oftentimes we're able to answer, and, and I, I do feel like they're very relieved when, when they hear an answer, and uh, it gives me enjoyment to be able to help a patient in that way, which is something pathologists haven't typically done in the past is this uh, direct patient consult and interaction. So it's, it adds a new dimension to our practice, and uh, as we mentioned, it's good quality care. 
Well, let's talk about that for a minute. So how would I go about meeting with you at the facility? How would I set up an appointment and, and what would I do to review my lab work with you? Yes. So I think listeners could first start by asking their doctor who ordered the lab work. Uh, we've got a lot of myeloma patients listening. You could start off by asking your hematologist oncologist if it's possible to meet with a pathologist if you do have a question on one of your lab reports. Oftentimes, the hematologist oncologist will be able to answer that question directly. Uh, and if not, you should ask if it is an op if there is an opportunity to meet with a pathologist at your facility. It's, it's a relatively new phenomenon of pathologists meeting with patients, uh, so it's not widely adopted yet across all practices across the country, but it's definitely an idea that's catching on quickly. A lot of my colleagues are doing similar things and have expressed the same sentiments as myself as far as their uh, desire to see patients to help out and to be a more visible member of the care team. Uh, pathologists not only are uh, active in uh, patient care and these types of consultations, but uh, many of my colleagues in other areas of pathology have been seeing patients for some time now. Uh, many listeners maybe have had uh, radiology procedures, uh, interventional radiology where there might be a biopsy of, say, a, a thyroid nodule or a, a fine needle aspiration of, of a different mass somewhere, a lymph node. And oftentimes when they do have that procedure, they may be seen by a pathologist before. And definitely during a procedure, a, a pathologist is often present in a real time evaluating the uh, cells that are aspirated. Uh, pathologists have been consulting with clinicians for uh, some time, and uh, we're really looking forward and enjoying our new found role of consulting with patients as well. So I think patients can start off by just asking their doctor, is there an opportunity to talk with my pathologist? I would like a I have a particular question, and uh, I'm sure that they would be more than happy to make the introductions. Well, and I know when you first get started with treatment, everything is such a shock. So you're 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 going through multiple levels of stress and um, have to change your life in pretty radical ways. And it might just be nice to have somebody explain what everything means to you. Even yeah, def yep, mm -hmm. uh, definitely. There's a real information overload when patients are first diagnosed with a serious illness and it may take a couple of days for patients to process all of this and it may not be appropriate at the first visit or patients may not even think about a pathologist or asking a particular question until they have digested and slept on it and thought about it, talked with their family members. In fact, uh, many of the patients that we've seen here in our practice who've come in to look at their pathology of their breast tumors bring in family members uh, who also have questions. Uh, so it's definitely uh, a, a, an entire uh, engaged process where I think once patients uh, process the information, 
speak with their family members, they can uh, come back in a follow-up visit and ask these uh, educated questions. And that's the best time probably to be thinking about contacting a pathologist or asking if you have that opportunity at your facility. And then a follow-up question, how often should I meet with you as a pathologist? Just if I have a question or before or after treatment or what, what do you recommend? Uh, I, right, right now as we're uh, beginning this new uh, uh, process of seeing patients and seeing how it works in with our uh, workflow. Right, right now, it's just been sort of an as-needed uh, uh, scenario. So when questions do come up, uh, patients can call their clinician, ask if it's possible to see a pathologist, and uh, schedule an appointment with us. We we don't require I don't think patients should feel like they're required to see their pathologist or they need to see the pathologist, but I think for those patients who are really actively engaged in wanting to know about everything about their care, I think it would be a, a great eye-opener, a very uh, uh, empowering um, event when they do meet with their pathologists and see some of these things under the microscope that they've only been hearing about. Uh, many of the listeners, I'm sure, uh, have been to their doctor's offices and uh, their doctor may show x-rays or a MRI scan on a computer or a light screen in the office. It's, it's very analogous to that. We, we're offering the opportunity for a patient to see their pathology, to see their slides, and uh, it's not for everybody, uh, but I think everybody should be aware that we are there, we're a member of their team, and we're ready and willing to answer questions and to help out. And as a, as a follow-up to that, is my insurance charged for the visit or, or no? Is it like a well, traditional can, appointment? Right. In that uh, so I can just speak from our own experience and my practice here is that we're not charging for this service. Uh, we're providing it as a uh, courtesy to patients. Uh, probably the best model for how this is occurring, I can tell you here at my institution, is that uh, we first rolled it out for the breast cancer clinic uh, in that when patients come in for uh, care, it's a very coordinated process with a team approach where Patients after diagnosis will meet with their radiologist, their oncologist, a surgeon, a radiation oncologist, and also be offered the opportunity to meet with a pathologist. So in one day during one series of appointments, they will uh, be offered that opportunity and may come over here to the lab to take a look. Uh, so it's, it's not something that you have to get a pre-authorization or check with your insurance. We're, we're, 
we're not charging for it right now, but I, I can't speak to how it occurs at other areas across the country or how it may evolve over time. But right now, I would encourage patients to reach out to their pathologists and ask if, if, if it is available, if the opportunity does exist for them to uh, take a look at their their slides, their biopsies, and ask a few questions that may, in their mind, uh, solidify their understanding of their disease or uh, their understanding of the treatment regimens that they're currently undertaking or why things do uh, occur as, as they do. And do you, as a pathologist, are you looking at the the bone marrow, the urine, and the blood, or are you including the imaging too? Would we go to you to talk to look at everything, or just the bone marrow, blood, and urine? Well, for myeloma care in particular, we we are looking at everything. So when I look at a bone marrow biopsy from a patient, I look at a variety of clinical lab work to supplement my report, understanding of what's going on, and try and issue the most accurate uh, diagnosis possible with maybe some suggestions for uh, follow-up. And that does include looking at other lab work, such as uh, protein electrophoresis, urine analyses, regular chemistries, uh, blood counts. I'll even look at radiology films. And that's one of the nice things about practicing in this day and age is that many practices across the country have all of this information at their fingertips. Uh, many of us have uh, multiple information systems, medical records, electronic medical records that have a lot of this information there. So uh, if a patient were to meet with us, we, we do have access to all of that information. And it is definitely helpful when a pathologist generates a report, puts together a report to have this information. And questions may come up with a patient where it's useful to take a look into some of that information or a patient may feel like they've got a couple of questions all over the place and maybe the pathologist might be uh, the best one to take a stab at answering some of those questions. Well, I know it, it makes a big difference, but patients are aware of what's happening and, and at some level are tracking it. Um, I have a friend who has tracked their numbers faithfully and was given, I, I can't remember if it was Revlimid or which drug it, they were given, but they started having a change in their numbers and they were able to notice that change and then ask their doctor about it. And it was doing organ damage. So they, they were taken off that drug and another one was used in its place and it, it was just because they themselves were paying attention. Right, so and that's, that's, that's an example of an engaged patient who's uh, keeping very close tabs on, on their care and something we do encourage. And it, it brings up a, a good point about uh, the role of a pathologist behind the scenes is that since we do oversee labs and there's a lot of information that does come out of laboratory testing on a daily basis. We're, we're involved, I mentioned earlier, with developing algorithms that uh, allow for more cost-effective workup of patients' illnesses to get at a diagnosis quicker, 
uh, faster in a more cost-effective way, which in the end provides better care because we're getting to a diagnosis quicker, a clinician is able to act on that quicker, and a lot of that is harnessing this uh, technology that's available in pathology labs across the country as being this repository of information and uh, being able to mine this uh, digital data. And uh, one of the uh, new healthcare uh, reform laws is moving towards more of uh, accountable care, where that uh, we're trying to uh, deliver quality care with uh, quicker results faster results in, in a more cost-effective manner. And uh, which the, the example that you, you mentioned is, is a real thing that's occurring in uh, practices across the country. There's a uh, so-called medical home model of healthcare where that uh, patients are uh, monitored a at home and in the hopes of picking up trends and uh, things of the nature like you described where a uh, bump in one of the blood tests might be noticed before uh, it becomes a real problem. So mm -hmm. that's what we're, we're trying to encourage. That's what we're working on behind the scenes is to pick up problems before they become problems. And it's helpful to have patients involved in this process as well. Oh, and I can see how and the data is there in a lot of the facilities now that you can access the data, but making sense of the data is a whole nother step, both for, for you, the model that you're talking about in the clinic, but also for the patient. Sometimes you don't understand the relevance to your numbers changing, and you sometimes it might make you feel a little panicked, and sometimes, you know, you just don't know what questions. We don't know what we don't know, I guess, with patients. Right. Sometimes. But having those tools would be remarkable. Right. And I think... Uh, you, you're developing a tool that uh, you are going to introduce to listeners in the future here. And I, I think having a tool, having a logbook where patients can keep track of their data is, is very important. Uh, knowing what their labs are, what they mean, the trends, and watching for some of these uh, deviations that might signal a problem is, is, is very important for patients to uh, keep tabs on. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk for a minute about uh, testing because we've had some of the myeloma specialists kind of remark that some of the testing isn't standardized across facilities. Sometimes it's a specimen quality problem, like they, you might not get a great sample for your bone marrow biopsy or for your fish test, right. but sometimes different facilities have different levels. Um, and for example, in flow cytometry, some people say, well, we run a two-color flow cytometry or we run an eight-color flow cytometry and test. And patients, I've asked other doctors about this, and they've said, oh, no, the patients can't have any idea what kind of level of sensitivity the lab is running. Um, and so if, but if we want the best results and patients can possibly help move things forward, um, you know, how do you how do you address that? I guess with standardized, it, how can we get to better standardized care? Right, that's 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 an excellent question. That's that's really been the realm of the pathologist for years. Here is that we've really worked hard on developing 
standards, developing quality control, quality assurance in laboratory testing, and assuring our patients, our other fellow clinicians, that we are delivering not only accurate results but precise so that if a patient does come in, they can feel confident that their testing is true and reflective of their underlying condition. So the long-held tenets in medicine about quality, a, a lot of that was developed in pathology labs and continues to this day. So I think one way in which patients can be assured that they're receiving quality lab work is to ask their ordering clinician, their ordering doctor, where their lab tests are being done. Are, are they being done in-house, in a lab with their facility? Are they being sent out? And if that's the case, is the lab that's doing this testing credentialed? Is it a certified lab? There are a number of different credentialing agencies that oversee laboratory testing. One of the major ones is the College of American Pathologists. And uh, patients can ask their ordering provider, is the lab, say, College of American Pathologists credentialed? Are, are they certified? And knowing that a lab is certified, uh, knowing it's staffed by board certified pathologists, I think patients can have a really strong uh, sense of comfort that only the highest levels of testing are being uh, upheld. You, you mentioned a few examples about flow cytometry testing, whether uh, the number of uh, colors of different probes that are used. That I, I Personally, I, I think that's great if patients are aware of that. Uh, I think the take-home message is, is it a credentialed, certified lab with board-certified pathologists because then they can be assured that everything's being done to the highest quality possible? Oh, well, that's a good question because sometimes we don't even know the right questions to ask. So that's, that's yeah, a good I, one. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that, that would be a, a great question for patients to ask their uh, doctors. Not only does the opportunity exist for me to meet with my pathologist, I've got a few questions on my lab tests and I'm wondering if this is available. And as a follow-up question to ask by the way, where is my lab testing being performed? Is it uh, is it in a lab that's staffed by board-certified pathologists? Is it a credentialed lab? And as I mentioned, there's a number of credentialing agencies, but one of the major ones is the College of American Pathologists. So that would be very important information for patients to uh, learn about and could be the first uh, foray for them into a discussion about reviewing their pathology. Well, the diagnostics are the foundation so of, of all of your care. So a question about this, and my friend just her lab results come back and her calcium number was up. And so she was kind of alarmed and said, I, I need to, can you, is this a problem? And they ran it again and it was different. And one of the doctors in one of the interviews has said, if you don't like your labs, run them again. So is this common? And and um, how do you address the variance as a pathologist or the differences? Right. right. So that's an excellent follow-up question to our uh, last topic there in that 
there is in a very minor variability in lab testing, and it is true that if you did run a test a couple of times, you might get a number that's fractionally different. Uh, but as part of these strict criteria in which certified qualified labs operate, uh, there's a very strict tolerance that we have to adhere to. Uh, and it may be just a few percentage points. It, it varies for different lab tests, but it's in a range such that patients can be assured each time that the result is clinically accurate and valid. They can feel confident about it. Um, I would encourage patients to, again, ask about the quality standards of the lab. Uh, if it is a certified quali uh, laboratory, then these uh, parameters will be in effect, and patients can be assured that that does happen. You might think uh, with the number of patients that do come through a lab, labs are medium-sized community hospitals and certainly larger academic centers are doing upwards of a million-plus lab tests a year. So that's Right, that's a, a lot. lot. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a lot. Even a medium-sized community hospital will do close to a million lab tests a, a year, and a big academic medical center will do multiples of that, millions. So that's a lot of individual runs of an instrument, a lot of blood that goes through, a lot of uh, allocation. So you can imagine that many labs are automated. There's a lot of uh, robotics or uh, automation in these instruments. And these instruments are checked daily, many times a day, uh, often multiple times during a shift or at least each shift. The technicians do run quality checks and calibrations to make sure that these strict parameters are in effect and being held. And many labs do, or many hospitals do look at your prior labs as they're being run. So your, your friend there who had the outlier of the calcium, that may have been picked up even before it was reported in, in a lab uh, by looking at the prior lab. So many laboratories have programs written into the instruments that a result will be internally checked against that patient's prior result. And, and if there is a difference, what we call a delta, if there's a significant delta or change between the prior and the past, or the current one is just outside of the normal limits, it's an abnormally low or abnormally high, that specimen is often is always run again and repeated. So patients can feel really confident of the result that they do get has been double-checked and sometimes triple-checked. And if it is significant, there are alerting systems, there's notification uh, structures that are set up for notifying clinicians of these potentially clinically significant uh, critical results. Well, that's great to know that there are alerts in place. Um, now, can we talk for a minute, because we've been talking about personalized medicine and personalized care and trying to divide and conquer in myeloma, I guess you could say. So can you address how lab work and how the role of the pathologist can help 
possibly determine, help me determine a treatment protocol that I might want to select or weigh options or are they involved in that type of advising? Yes, we we are. Uh, in these weekly conferences that I mentioned earlier, these are exactly the types of topics that we discuss with our clinical colleagues in that uh, putting together all of the information, uh, different protocols or trials may be discussed and uh, my colleagues may say to me, may, may have a question about an assay and making sure that it's run in a particular fashion that qualifies the patient for a particular trial. So uh, the pathologist is not the main uh, decision maker in enrolling in different clinical trials, but we provide the information to your care team, and as part of a care team, the information is collated, and from there, a, a plan can be devised, whether it involves uh, standard therapy or going on a trial. And either path always involves knowing laboratory results, pathology data. So I would say, yes, the pathologist is part of the care team and part of that decision-making, but the ultimate decision on your care does come down to your treating physician. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Now, I know you said that, you mentioned that you're being asked to do more with less, and so you're using some tools, some extra tools to do that. And I, when I look at, let's say, myeloma or cancer in general, I think doing the pathology or the lab work is so much cheaper than than not doing the lab work and waiting till the disease progresses. So in my opinion, as a patient, I look at it and think, gosh, we need to do more pathology or more lab work than, than less in order to detect diseases earlier and treat them at, in more, less expensively because we're finding them at earlier stages. Right. Well, that is also a double-edged sword, and I completely agree with you that we we should be looking for these things. But one problem that often comes out is, are we going to find things that aren't clinically significant? Mm -hmm. uh, one terrific example right now is there's a lot of debate about prostate cancer and watching patients' PSAs and rising and when do they get a biopsy or when, when do they not get a biopsy? And even when we, we find a cancer, do you treat it, do you not treat it, do you watch it? So I think with more information, we definitely benefit, but there's also a downside of knowing more in that are, are we going to find things that aren't clinically relevant or would never even harm a patient? Uh, for example, uh, in the realm of myeloma care, many of the listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with the entity of, uh, of monoclonal gammopathy of unknown significance, mm -hmm. right. which is a small clone of plasma cells that is secreting a protein that's abnormal. And many of these patients go on with no problem at, at all. For uh, years. Right. Yeah, for, for years. And there's a very, very small percentage that will 
progress to more advanced and clinically significant disease. But I, I think we're struggling with with uh, this information overload now is that uh, as we are understanding the genome and we're into the molecular revolution and unraveling the secrets of cancer, we're, we're, we're discovering more information than we really are equipped to deal with uh, at, at this point, and we're trying to process it as quick as we can, trying to figure out what's uh, clinically significant or not, and uh, hopefully, I think in, in, in the case of myeloma, we, we come to a day and age that I don't think is too far off where uh, it follows the same course as uh, colon cancer or lung cancer in that we have, through this uh, very rigorous testing that you're talking about, we've we found targets, we found particular mutations in patients' cancer and been able to develop drugs that are active against those cancers so that patients now can be put on what you've mentioned, personalized medicine, personalized care. And we're, we're not quite there yet with myeloma, but I believe we're on the same track, the same trajectory, and we will get there. So we will have a day where uh, we, we do find uh, patients' myeloma signatures, their, their genetic signature uh, puts them uh, in line for a particular drug versus another patient who may have a different profile. So. I believe we're on the way to there, but we just haven't gotten there yet. But it does all begin with, with testing. Mm -hmm. I, well, I completely agree, and I love that it's headed in that direction. It's a, a great, especially when they say myeloma is not a single disease. So I don't think we get to better care unless we start dividing and conquering. Right, so, absolutely. In your experience, have you seen particular tools that patients have used to help track their their myeloma markers, for example? I, I have seen patients who uh, have kept a very uh, uh, detailed logbook of, of their lab results, and I do think that's important. Uh, often, I mentioned earlier, many patients do have access to their labs online, and all of that information is stored online so that patients can go back, track results, trend results. It'll sh you, they, they may be able to see a graph of how their lab results are, are uh, displaying over time. But if patients don't have that ability or they uh, aren't able to have that access, I think keeping a copy of their labs and knowing what their results are what's important, looking at the flags on the lab results, what's high, what's low, what does it mean, and how was it different before, and asking these types of questions with, with their clinicians is important. Uh, keep, keeping a file of their laboratory records, just like you might with your immunization histories for your children, I think it's important for patients to try and uh, develop a, a, a record and, and keep, keep this information together. Uh, one of the things the medical profession is uh, struggling with right now is trying to harmonize all of these different uh, information systems that may exist, particularly if patients travel from one hospital to another, uh, right. ensuring that 
in information flows with them. Uh, you can imagine, and I'm sure many listeners have felt like if they've gone to a different doctor, a different clinic, maybe some of the testing feels repetitive to them, and maybe some of it is. And if we had a better way of filtering and tracking and suggesting to clinicians as they're ordering, flagging that this had just been done at another hospital, that's what we're working towards. And, and that's one area that pathologists have been called uh, up to help with is to try and implement some of these laboratory information systems and, and help make them talk to other hospitals. So that's my vision of where we're going to go, and I think patients can help with that by keeping track of their lab results and questioning their doctors about abnormal results or if they feel like uh, something had been tested, suggesting it to their doctor who may or may not have known that if it's an outside hospital. Well, I think it's very critical. I, I always ask for a printout every time I go because I had a, we were living out of the country and I had to travel to two different facilities. And so I just always, after I get my lab work done, can you just send me a lab or can you print it out for me? And I have a big file. Sometimes I don't know what to do with it, but <laughs> I have a big file. <laughs> and I think it's critical, especially when it comes to compiling patient data. And so I think you've hit on something very important and critical to move us forward to personalized care and also to just solutions. If we could compile all our data and all the results, and then we could compare ourselves to people who have a similar profile, then we could really start seeing outcomes. And it sounds like that's what you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of healthcare is going in that direction. More, we've 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 always provided personalized care. That's the oh, right. the con. Yeah. So the 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 concept is not new, but I think the implications are just because of the amount of information that we're now able to learn about a patient, about their disease, about their illness. So it's personalized even more so in the sense that we really need to be careful in what we pick and choose to order for lab testing. And patients should be aware of that and should be keeping track of it as well. Okay, well, great. Well, I don't wanna, I know, sir, we have callers on the line and I would like to open it up for caller questions, if that's all right with you. So yes, absolutely. If, if you have questions about Dr. Mislick's work in pathology, you can call 347. 637-2631, and once you're on the call, if you'd like to ask a question, press 1 on your keypad. Okay, so caller at phone number 653-3926. Uh, uh, yeah, hi, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, yeah, so um, I was wondering, you mentioned a tool earlier uh, about aggregating data, and uh, I'm just wondering where I could, uh, or how I can aggregate all my pathology data so I can get a view of it. I mean, is there a tool available now, and if so, where can I get that? Okay. Uh, Jenny, uh, I know, is developing a such such a tool. Uh, she's asked me to take a look at it, and she's worked with a number of different specialists across the country to uh, put together exactly these types of questions. Uh, 
Did you want to say a few words on that, Jenny? Um, sure. So I'm working on a document right now that's called Deciphering My Myeloma Lab Results because sometimes when you get these labs back, you don't know what the creatine means or you don't know what the beta-2 microglobulin means. So Dr. Misalek is working with me and I've had um, help from several others to help put this document together. And then I know that the International Myeloma Foundation also has a tool where you can enter your labs and then it can help you graph some of your lab work. Um, I am also going to put together a spreadsheet that just tracks the most vital myeloma markers and allows you to put them in and just keep track of the most vital because sometimes when you get your lab results back, they're pages and pages and not everything is critically relevant. So it might not be a number you want to track, but there are some considered myeloma markers that, that you might want. And then maybe we can evolve that document over time. And I would also add in that when you do ask your doctor about the opportunity to meet with a pathologist, uh, and if you do have that option, when you are with the pathologist, ask, ask them for uh, the past information because just like a blood test, a CBC, where everything is online in the uh, computer information of the hospital, your pathology is there as well. Uh, we're required, I mentioned earlier about uh, one of our certifying agencies, the College of American Pathologists, is that we're, we're required to keep for at least 10 years the glass slides, the paraffin blocks from biopsies from patients. And certainly the paper lab results are uh, in the information system indefinitely. So your, your path results will be there. Uh, and you can get, get get a copy if you ask your doctor for those. Okay, great. Okay, thank great. You. Thank you. All right, thank you for the question. Okay, next caller is at 204-6956. Go ahead with your question. Hi, thank you for taking my call. And this is more of a general observation but um, or a general comment. When I was first diagnosed um, and we were... Um, or prior to diagnosis when we were running a CBC and the C word, the cancer word, was just never addressed with me. I never in a million years thought that that's where we were going with my blood work. And my um, treating physician's office, they were able to send me my lab results online. And it was too much information for me. I would get these random, you know, emails, oh, you have new blood test results available online and I would go and I would click on them and I would try to figure out what that meant and I was going online and self-diagnosing and it was absolutely terrifying and for me having that kind of information with no one to actually sit down and go over them all at once with me was just not good and so I think that sometimes too much information without help in deciphering that is just not good news and the result was that here I am I'm two years later, and I'm still afraid of looking at my lab results. So every time we get labs, I tell them, no, 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 I don't want to see them. And, you know, is everything okay? And they say, yes, and that's good enough for me. So I think, you know, the more that we can educate patients that it's really important that we really do kind of pay attention to our lab results, I think that's pretty critical. 
And after today's call, I'm going to actually start looking at my lab results again. So just a general observation. Thank you. I think that's a great observation, and thank you for calling in with those comments. I certainly agree with you that uh, no, every patient's different, and the involvement of a particular patient may vary from one person to another for uh, the desire to know more about their condition. Uh, I think many of these online uh, patient web portals where you can see your lab results or you do get these email notifications that lab results are ready. We, we could probably do a better job with helping to uh, filter those or, uh, like the caller mentioned, uh, just not to overwhelm patients at once with all of this information, just as when patients are diagnosed and discuss the C word with their doctors, uh, it's very overwhelming. And it can be overwhelming at home to just all of a sudden get all these lab results. And I, I think both of those scenarios are a perfect opportunity to involve a pathologist to help explain some of these lab results. And I would definitely encourage the caller and other listeners to ask about the opportunity to speak with a pathologist. That's great. Well, thank you for your comment and for your answer. Okay, our next caller is at 949-5572. Go ahead. Uh, Dr. Mitchell, thank you for, for the time today. And I'm definitely going to go seek out the pathologist uh, next time well, at the next doctor visit. I didn't even know he was behind the curtains there. So, that's, that's great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm going to bring go shake his hand and or her hand and say hello. Um, but my question is, will my doctor get upset if I'm going directly to the pathologist? And so, so somebody I didn't even know existed before, who's one of those lab people behind the scenes, will my doctor feel like uh, be offended if I'm going around him? So that's that's a great question. Uh, that was something that we were actually a little bit uh, worried about when we first started seeing patients and offered the opportunity to patients was that, geez, would our other clinicians, would they feel uh, like we're stepping on their toes, overstepping our bounds? And absolutely to the contrary, I can tell you that it was welcomed with open arms. Uh, the feedback from patients was overwhelmingly positive that they do enjoy it. It, do give, it does give them better insight into their disease. And uh, my fellow clinicians have also been equally supportive. They, they do encourage it. They, they like it. I think uh, it, it helps to coordinate care. And it, in fact, it, it encourages uh, care to stay in one place in that patients feel like they truly are part of this team approach. They have multiple doctors taking care of them under one roof. And this sense of camaraderie, teamwork, uh, really is enlightening and empowering to patients. And, and when they do see this, I think it gives them more confidence in the care that they're receiving. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, our last thank caller you. is at four zero zero three six five six. Let's see. Go ahead with your question. 
Hey, doctor, mine's more of a uh, tactical question. Do, do I need to bring my information with me when I meet with my pathologist, or, or will you already have all the information in your system? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So we, we have everything. Uh, you, you can certainly bring uh, paperwork with questions. As I mentioned earlier, some of the patients that we've met with bring family members. They'll bring spouses, children, uh, and people may have different questions or be able to remember things differently, and it's often good to involve your family in your care. So uh, we've had a number of occasions where uh, a couple people come in and we will all sit down at the multi-headed microscope and look together. And you need, need not worry about bringing in uh, your lab results. We will have them in the system. We'll have your pathology reports. We'll have your blood work. We'll have radiology results. So we, we will have everything and be able to pull it up if needed. Now, if you go to thank a, you. a thank second... You. Thank, you for the, thank you for the suggestion on bringing my family members as well. Thank you for answering that. Thank you. And what what if you are attending or you go to two facilities? For example, let's say you see a myeloma specialist and then you go to a general oncologist for some of your care. You should probably bring what you have or do they have access to all of that if they share the records? Right. That's a good question to ask your doctor when, when you go is that do they have or are they on the same system of information sharing, the same electronic medical record as some of the other hospitals you might be going to. I can imagine a lot of the listeners may be having specialized care at an academic center, but then returning to the community for uh, follow-up or more routine care. Often those uh, hospitals or those clinics are in the, or are part of the same system. And generally, if a patient knows that their different facilities are in the same uh, healthcare system. It's often a shared information system, but um, usually if they're going outside of that information system for uh, any one reason or another, the care may become disjointed and some of this information may not flow, uh, which is something we're trying to work on, something we're trying to uh, have better control over. But it, it, it also brings us back to the point of centralizing care, keeping care within one facility, within one health system. Uh, not, not only is it better, good quality care for everybody, but uh, your, your doctors will have all the information at their fingertips. Okay, that's great. And I, I have one final question for you. Because you mentioned that you're doing a lot of data gathering and research and clinical trials. Do you run specifically clinical trials? And, and could we develop, let's say, a, a myeloma tissue bank for everybody, that everybody has access to and that everybody could donate to? Because that would be a treasure trove, I would think. Yes, and those things are, are occurring. Obviously, at the larger academic medical centers, there are uh, protocols, there's clinical trials where uh, many of these options or experimental uh, trials will be available. Uh, but some of that and many, many of those trials are even available to patients in, in the community. I know in my practice in particular, uh, our uh, clinicians participate in a, uh, actually a nationwide uh, 
uh, a cooperation of community oncologists who can pool their patients together and with numbers comes power and they're able to enroll patients in some of these trials that weren't originally available to a patient in the community. So that model of care is definitely moving to the community and I think patients can feel confident of, of the care that they do receive. And with this data mining and collection, we, we will definitely learn more. Uh, we've entered a new realm of uh, discovery. Uh, every day we're learning more about cancers, and uh, I do firmly believe we will get to a point where we have uh, many actionable such targets in myeloma that we're able to specifically target. Yeah, we, we are looking forward to that day. <laughs> That's great. It's wonderful. And we, we have been very enlightened today by your interview. So thank you so much for sharing what a pathologist can help us to do for our care. And um, Dr. Misalik, we're so grateful that you joined us today. Thank you for telling us that we have more help than we realize. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, and I hope uh, uh, enjoying for the listeners as well. Oh, it's been very, very informative. So we wish you the best in your continued great work. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Innovation in Myeloma. Join us next week for our next inpatient radio interview as we learn more about how we can help drive to a cure for myeloma. 